good evening, Purple family. Welcome to another episode of Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. So tonight we're going to be reviewing the Black Album and just consider this to be take two because just a little over an hour ago, I attempted to um, record this uh, episode and for some reason, I either forgot to save the audio or the audio wasn't saved for whatever reason. So because of that, I'm having to re-record it. So this is the second take. So I'm going to make sure that I review this before I try to publish it on all the Prince pages, which is what I just did without kind of looking over it ahead of time, which is usually what I do. But I've never, this has never happened before. So I, I really apologize for that. So Let's just try to do this take two better than the first take, which I really like the first take, but you know, shit happens. So here we are. So the Black Album is the 16th full length studio album by Prince. Officially, it has no title and no credited artists. It's known as the Black Album due to its plain black sleeve, which contains no information apart from the catalog number printed on the spine in peach letters. The sticker on the 1994 release labeled it the legendary Black Album. It was originally intended to be released on December the 8th of 1987, but was canceled at Prince's request just prior to its release on the 1st of December 1987. It was finally given a limited release in November 1994, just three months after his previous new release, Come. And I did review the Come album a couple of episodes back, so check out that review. I've been trying to go in order with these album reviews. So we're on to the Black album. The next album review will, of course, be The Gold Experience. Uh, but I'm going to do a couple of episodes before I get to that. I kind of like to stretch my album reviews out a little bit. So, but that one will be coming up in the next, like, I would say few weeks or so, like three or four weeks within the next month, I should be putting out uh, the next album, uh, review, but there are a couple of books that I want to review and I still haven't reviewed the documentary, the slave documentary that I wanted to review and some other things as well. So, but moving on. So let's talk about the session and compilings for the black album. The album is essentially a compilation of individual tracks. It was not recorded as a thematic album. So it wasn't recorded like the gold experience or, uh, the love symbol or diamonds and pearls. It wasn't like a theme uh, that was, uh, established by Prince for the album. It was just a collection of, uh, uh, songs, uh, rock hard in a funky place was the first to be recorded in October, 1986 and first placed on the unreleased Camille album. And the bulk of the tracks was recorded between October, 1986 and March of 1987. The final track recorded when two are in love came much later in October, 1987 Thematically, the song is very different to those uh, recorded earlier, perhaps prompting Prince Prince's decision to keep it for use on Love Sexy. So When Two Are In Love is the only song in Prince's catalog that I'm aware of that is on two separate albums, two different albums. It's on the Black Album and it's also on Love Sexy. So uh, 1987, uh, The Constellation. So I'm reading all this from theprincevault.com. So it says, while Warner Brothers 
were concerned about releasing the album in 1987, only nine months after a sign of the times, the album's original cancellation was solely Prince's decision. He felt the album was too negative and hateful and not the message he wanted to release. He has spoken of a dark night of the soul. And this is referred to in the Prince camp as Blue Tuesday, which I believe was December 1st. Uh, or the first week of December of 1987. So allegedly on this night, he experimented with ecstasy with Ingrid Chavez and Cat Glover. Now I'm not sure who gave him the ecstasy, but allegedly it was Cat uh, Glover. Uh, but I don't know if she ever uh, admitted to that or not. Um, but anyway, he experimented with ecstasy and, um, and he had, you know, of course he was tripping off of it. He had hallucinations and the black album supposedly allegedly came as a result of the, these hallucinations. But also some of these songs were from a, um, a party that a birthday party that he was hosting for Sheila E later on in December. So it was a combination of, uh, the party, uh, Sheila E's birthday party and these hallucinations that he allegedly had on this night referred to as blue Tuesday. So this is probably, I would say probably Prince's one of his more unique albums and that the inspiration comes from, you know, these different types of sources, but keep in mind also at this time. Now this was about a year or so, six months to a year after the revolution was disbanded. And this was also a time as well after him and Susanna, his longtime fiance and Wendy Melvoin's twin sister had broken up. And so I dare speculate that I think that Prince was probably experiencing a little depression at this time. And that may have led him to look for, you know, certain outlets. And I can understand why he kind of fell after the fact that the black album was a little evil or a little dark. And I wouldn't go as far as saying that myself, but I can understand, you know, he, because of the hallucinations that he had with the ecstasy, he probably thought that this was something demonic. And he even, uh, as far as I know, used that actual word to describe the album. And originally it was supposed to be called the funk Bible because Uh, This was a time where Prince was transitioning away from the revolution and his more pop mainstream sound. And he wanted to return to his funk roots. He wanted to go back to uh, the, you know, the black music that he was uh, known for. And because a lot of, you know, fans at this time uh, were kind of saying that Prince wasn't funky anymore. And so Prince heard that he was like, hell no, y'all got me messed up. The funk has never left me. So he, he set out to do this album to, to talk, you know, talk down, uh, um, the naysayers that were saying that he wasn't funky no more. So it was originally called the funk Bible for that purpose. So let's get on to talking about the, uh, compilation. So following the cancellation, Prince immediately began to work on love sexy, which is commonly viewed as a direct response to the black album. Prince kept the track when two are in love for love sexy. It was kept on the black album, which we thought we already discussed for its eventual release. Also given the track. Well, you know, I just said that. So it's saying that, you know, it's the only track that was on two different albums. Uh, okay. So, so Prince referred to the album during the video for alphabet street, 
where a message is written in the floating letters behind prints, don't buy the black album. I'm sorry. So if you see the uh, Alphabet Street video that's on YouTube, uh, it's the part of the video where he says, I'm going down. And it looks like he has some kind of like ruler or something in his hand. So you have to almost pause the video to see the words, but they, and they go really fast, but it does say, don't buy the black album. I'm sorry. So despite Prince's opposition to the album, however, he did play songs from the album regularly on the Love Sexy tour during the first half of the show, which focused on Prince's darker, quote unquote, darker music. So he would play like his more sexy songs like Erotic City and Darling Nikki and, you know, some of his more dirtier, you know, songs for the first half. And then the second half, he would play like the whole album of Love Sexy, where he would play his, you know, his lighter, more spiritual songs like Anastasia and uh, songs like that. So in positivity, you know, so that's how he did. That's how he kind of did the set list for um, the Love Sexy Tour. So in 1991, uh, the Black Album was planned for release by Warner Brothers as the second disc of a planned greatest hits package following following the relatively commercial disappointment of Graffiti Bridge. So after the the disappointment of Graffiti Bridge, the Warner Brothers decided that they wanted to uh, put out a greatest hits package, but Prince wasn't into that idea because he was of the mindset that any artist that puts out a, a greatest hits while they're still, you know, very active in their career, that they're, you know, going to be a has been in a couple of years after that. So he was not into the idea at the time of doing a, a greatest hits. With they eventually did put one out in '93, but when Prince submitted Diamonds and Pearls, the plan's greatest hits package was discarded at that time but they did pick it up in 93. So the 1994 release, Prince's eventual motivation for the album's release appears to have been financial as he received around a million dollars for the release. His publicist stated that he was still spiritually against the album at the time. The release was fairly low key and no singles were released from the album, although an all black and white video with lyrics was produced for When Two Are In Love. But the album was widely regarded in the music industry and the musical press as a legendary album. Due to the nature of its original release plan, no artist credit, no title, and its cancellation at the last minute, the album was widely bootlegged and is commonly recorded is commonly regarded as the most heavily bootlegged album of all time by any artist. So for those of you that happen to have the original 1987 pressing of uh, the Black Album, I'm pretty sure those are probably worth money. But if you're like me and you're a collector, you probably won't ever sell them. But, you know, when push comes to sub, if times get hard, hey, you might have to. But I would love to have an original pressing of this album. Uh, My husband was able to find, uh, I guess, one of the 94 releases on a CD at a record store that he went to maybe about uh, probably about a year and a half, two years ago. And I was really surprised that he was uh, able to find it because um, there's not a lot of them out there. I could be wrong about that, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of uh, pressings of, of this album. Uh, the 1994 release of the album reached number 47 on the Billboard uh, Top 200 and number 18 on the Billboard Top R&B albums chart. So let's go straight into the listing. So the first uh, song, La Grind, 
I'll be honest with you. Um, this song is okay. I like the little, the only thing I really like about the song is it's funky beat, but outside of that, it's just like, um, it's kind of meh to me. Uh, but, uh, it's basic cra- tracks were recorded on December 10th of 1986, a sunset sound, the track along with a uh, Bob George and two niggas United for West Compton, uh, was recorded for uh, Sheila E's birthday party. So this this track, Bob George and two night two niggas united for West Compton, were really for uh, private use. They were for Sheila E's birthday party. So there could be another reason why it doesn't really sound like a. It sounds kind of like a party song, but it's not like uh like a single. And you know, no singles were released for this album. But it doesn't have a. You know, it just just it's just a funky song. It really is. And I like the beat, um, but it doesn't really stand out to me in any way other than the beat. Uh, the lyrics are okay, but like I said, it just doesn't stand out like some of the other songs on this album does to me. Uh, so the second song, moving on, is uh, Cindy C, and it's about Cindy Crawford. And uh, Cindy Crawford, she did an interview uh, on one of the late night uh, talk shows and she said that a friend of hers told her about uh, this song that Prince did about her. So she wasn't aware of it. And I, don't, and I can't remember if she did this song before or after Prince died. Uh, it may have been after he died. And, um, and she said that she actually met Prince once at a party somewhere, I think, over in Europe and uh, at a club. And she was dancing. And then she kind of noticed she said that someone was dancing around her that was significantly shorter than her. Because I think like most of the supermodels, I think Cindy Crawford is probably close to six feet tall or like 5'10", 5'11", something like that. So um, she said she noticed someone that was smaller that was kind of dancing around her and she turned around and it was Prince. And she said they had a nice conversation and, um, you know, but she didn't really, you know, think too much of it. And then until her friend told her about um, this song and in the song, uh, he has a lyric that says, uh, Sydney C, I'll pay the usual fee. And so I don't know what he means by that. I don't know if he's trying to call Cindy Crawford a prostitute on the low. Um, I know you hear, you hear all kind of, you know, rumors about these supermodels and how, you know, they make their money in other ways. I'm not saying that Cindy did that by any means, but you do, you hear rumors and most of that stuff is probably not true. But, um, but anyway, it's kind of, you know, it was kind of, curious that he said that lyric and he made it seem like he was just you know had like this huge crush on her and it was just pawning after her and was just like why Cindy why don't you like me you know it kind of sounded like almost like a nerd in a way so it was kind of funny um and um I don't know if it's a song that you know that really did anything for him other than I guess just kind of release some maybe some frustration he had about maybe his encounter that he had with her uh, of that particular time. Um, but see what else cat had a rap in the song that was, um, was taken from JM silk 1985's track. Music is the key. And although Prince was aware, unaware of this at the time, he ended up removing it from positivity when he found out, but it was included here as, uh, as a quote from Cindy C. So Prince was unaware of his origins at the time that it was recorded for the black album. But, uh, later on, um, in her interview with Michael Dean on a podcast juice, uh, Kat Glover talked about how, you know, uh, Prince had wanted her to do a rap for this song. 
and uh so she did the rap but she you know took it from jm silk she didn't it wasn't like a freestyle or anything like that and you know she told prince after the fact and i'm pretty sure prince was probably upset with her about that i would imagine um but anyway let's see what else can we learn about cindy c so it was recorded march 1987 at prince's galpin uh boulevard home studio on chanhassen um after the black album was initially canceled the track was broadcast on the 9th of december 1989 as part of the new power generation radio show hosted by prince under the name me myself and i with robin power and ingrid chavez and levi cersei jr so that's another interesting fact about cindy c so going on uh the, the next track dead on it is kind of prince's um grievance about rappers and uh, rap as a musical genre he didn't care for rap music when it was starting to become very popular in the late 1980s he really didn't understand how you know you could just you know talk over a beat basically and be considered a musician because he was used to playing live instruments him and his band members and he didn't understand that you know this was a new genre that was finally gaining traction because, um, you know, hip hop was invented in, in the early 1970s. And it wasn't until about the mid 80s with uh, uh, Run DMC and LL Cool J and the like that it really started to kind of pick up steam. And by the end of the 80s, by 87, 88, you had NWA, uh, Public Enemy and groups like that. And he really liked Public Enemy. And I think that was the group that kind of, you know, helped him to have more of an appreciation for rap. And so by the time he did Diamonds and Pearls and the Love Symbol album, he had uh, his own rapper, Tony M, Tony Mosley, doing the rapping. And he even put out his own version of, well, attempted to put out his own version of a, a gangster rap album in uh, 1993's Gold Nigga, which uh, Warner Brothers quickly declined. <laughs> they didn't want any parts of this album. And it's still kind of hard to find to this day. I haven't got around to uh, listening to it. Uh, my husband has. I need to go back and try to listen to it and, uh, you know, give my opinion on that at some point. Um, but dead on it, he just says that, you know, rappers are tone deaf. And then he ha has this line where he says that only good rapper is a dead rapper. Ouch. Uh, that's taken from a quote. I don't know who said it back way back in the day. Uh, um, uh, they used to say that uh, a good Indian was a dead Indian. And so he kind of did like a version of that. And he said that well, <laughs> he kind of wrapped it and saying that, you know, he was driving in a car one day, turned on the radio and he heard a rapper talking some silly shit. And, you know, he just didn't understand it. He didn't have an appreciation of it. He called rappers tone deaf. And, you know, he did, uh, he didn't understand how they dress, you know, they dressed in these long, like white t-shirts and, you know, so he's like rappers don't have any kind of style, but like I said, that was then, but by the time the nineties came around, I think he definitely had a better appreciation for rappers, uh, especially rappers like MC Hammer. He allowed MC Hammer to, um, um, do a, um, night uh pray the song pray he allowed him to do a sample for when dubs cry for that song pray and so he appreciated some rappers like uh mc hammer he also liked uh dougie fresh um and of course he would work with Doug dougie fresh in the late 90s as well and he even asked dougie fresh according to dougie fresh to be a part of the mpg but he said he had to you know he turned him down because he just didn't have the time to um 
be, you know, just kind of commit himself to a, a commitment like that, to be a part of a band like that. But he liked, you know, certain rappers. He didn't, I don't know if he, um, like cared for like Tupac or not, or if he ever met him. I did, I do know that, but Tupac was a very big Prince fan and he did actually play at, uh, one of the glam slam clubs. I think the one out in LA. Um, so he did allow for, uh, rappers such as Tupac to, uh, perform at his glam slam clubs. Uh, so he, like I said, eventually, you know, it took a few years, but he did kind of, you know, grow and I don't know how much of an affinity he, he had for rap, but he recognized that it was a genre that he just was going to have to get behind. And he wasn't the only artist that realized that. So it was just one of those things. Like if you don't, you know, if you can't beat them, join them type of thing with rap music. And so he was just expressing, um, his disdain on it with dead on it. And the song includes a sample line by Sheila E taken directly from Holly rock, which was the song that she, uh, did in the crush groove, uh, 1985 crush groove movie, which was about, uh, the start of Def Jam and it had rappers, the fat boys and, uh, uh, and LL Cool J made an appearance. And so, um, so yeah, that, yeah. So she played Holly rock, which was a kind of a rap song in um that movie so that's dead on it and also dead on it was rapped by tony m over uh the beat for the music uh the song race as an introduction to jughead on each date of the diamonds and pearls tour so another interesting fact about dead on it so moving on to probably my well not probably it is my favorite song on the album when two are in love yeah i know i can't sing but if you've been listening to my podcast long enough sometimes you know that i will just burst out into song even when i shouldn't (laughs) so but when two are in love is probably um my favorite song on this album and i liked it you know i mean probably also my favorite song on love sexy too if i'm being honest and it's just one of those songs that you know, it, I just like his lyrics and he has this lyric that said, it just makes you like, it's like a dirty song, but it's a nice dirty song. If that makes sense. Like he says things like, um, he, like he said, he has this one lyric, the thought of uh, his tongue and the V of her love, you know? And then he says, you know, just anticipating the act of penetration. And, you know, it just takes you, it just gives you a sliver down your back, you know, just the thought, let alone the actual act, you know? So he just kind of breaks it down. And then the chorus is come bathe with me, you know, to be an air sign, a Gemini, he really was into water. So maybe his sun sign was a water sign and me being a Scorpio, being a water sign, I'm all for, you know, I love being in water. I have a hot tub, a jet tub in my house. And when I would just want to relax my mind, I'll get in there and I just love it. You know? So when he said, come bathe with me and drown each other in each other's emotion, bathe with me. I mean, I, I just love it, you know? And he paints such a beautiful picture of two lovers, you know, you know, he says when two are in love, falling leaves will appear to them like slow motion rain and then he says slow motion slow motion like everything just slows down when you're in love and in a way that's so true 
you know, when you're really deep in love with someone, it's just like nothing else matters but that person. And so he was able to really, you know, uh, have that picture in your mind during the song. And it's a great song. In 2000, When Two Are In Love was planned for inclusion on uh, When Two Are In Love, The Ballads of Prince. And I really hate that that didn't come out, but maybe now that'll be something else that the estate can uh, maybe put together and put out in the near future. <coughs> Excuse me. So the next song, Bob George, <laughs> is probably one of Prince's uh, funnier songs. It's actually about two people. Bob Caveo, which was uh, one of Prince's uh, managers, uh, ex-managers. And then Nelson George, who was a music critic. And Nelson George, you know, had written some things about Prince's, you know, music that he didn't like. And then Bob, I don't know what Bob Caveo did, but uh, I'm, they had, I'm assuming, some kind of falling out. And so, <clears throat> so it led to Prince uh, creating this character for the song. And the guy in the song talking in a low robotic voice, you know, he's um, cussing and, you know, talking, you know, kind of being abusive to his girlfriend, you know, telling her, you know, you sucking up food and heat. That's all you good for. I pay the rent in this raggedy motherfucker and you can't tell me nothing. And, you know, he gets out this gun and starts shooting and it's just a crazy song. And it's funky, you know, but it's crazy. <laughs> and, um, and then he really talks bad about Nelson George in the song, y'all. Cause why does he say, oh man, shape head ass. <laughs> and then when you go look at a picture of Nel- Nelson George, look him up. He does have an almond shaped head. <laughs> like real talk, <laughs> real talk. He has an almond shaped head. So, um, <laughs> So Prince, this was Prince at his uh, comedic best in my mind. But a lot of people see it as him being kind of, you know, extra toxic and violent and over the top. And I'm pretty sure that he meant for it to be all of that, you know, because once again, the Black Album was a dark album. (coughs) Excuse me. So he meant for it to sound like it sounded, you know. So let's see what else we can learn about Black, uh, I almost said Black George. Bob George. So the basing tracking took place on the 7th of December, 1986 at Sunset Sound. Uh, he did it the same day as the gospel ting Walking in Glory, which is a song that my husband absolutely loves. And um, Prince would often do that. He like he would make a, a song that would be kind of a dark song. And then the same day he would make like a gospel song or a really lighthearted song. So I'm not surprised that they were recorded on the exact same day. That is very much a Prince thing. Uh, the track along with, uh, two Nigs United for West Compton and Lee grind were included in, you know, in that birthday party for Sheila E that we talked about. <clears throat> the next song, super funky, California, sexy <laughs> is, um, he actually took that from, it's a spoof of the song, Super Califragilis. I cannot say this, y'all. I, I know I'm gonna fuck this up. Super Califragilistic Exialidocious, which is from uh, Mary Poppins, the 1964 movie with Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. Let me try it again, y'all. Super Califragilis. Super Califragilistic Exialidocious. So that was just a play on uh, that uh, that that song. 
and that word rather. Uh, let's see. In 1989, a live version was included for the Love Sexy uh, Live 2 VHS, taken from the 9th of September 1988 on a live TV broadcast as part of a medley for Controversy, Dirty Mind, and Super Funky Color, Fresh and Sexy, and uh, Controversy Cotta. In 2001, an instrumental version of the track was included as part of the MPG audio show number three download. And so he recorded this at his Galpin home, home studio. And he also like worked on the track at the uh, Washington Avenue warehouse in Indiana, Minnesota. So um, <laughs> this was a song where he, I think definitely, I don't want to say that he was high on ecstasy when he did this because I, but he did talk about the after effects. Cause he said like, you know, you, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how, I can't remember how he put it, but he said that you, you know, you, if you get too close to someone, you want to, you want to fuck like the person that you want to get to the person, the first person that you want to see, you want to fuck. And a lot of people say that when you take ecstasy, that is how it, that that's how it feels. Like it makes you extremely horny and you want to, you know, you know what you want to fuck somebody. So I think that he was definitely talking about some of the hallucinations and the experiences that he had with ecstasy with this song. Because he's talking about then you then you uh, tie them up and then you start playing with yourself until you turn them on. I mean, and then the way he was talking in the song, he was talking really fast. And so you're just like, what the fuck is going on, Prince? Okay. Uh, <laughs> like it was one of those type of, but it's funky. It's funky. But it was one of those type of songs that you're just like, okay what's going on prince what, what's really going on my, my guy <laughs> so that's super Khaled french is sexy <laughs> okay the next song is just an instrumental the two niggas united for west Compton, and actually it was sheila e that gave it its name but i don't know why she named it that uh, i know that she's from the bay area so maybe that's why uh but it was for her uh party her birthday party and as the songs, uh, according to the principal, as the song's original recording predates Cats starting to work with Prince, it is assumed that her voice in the intro, as well as the male voices, likely those of Greg Brooks and Wally Sanford, were recorded later, likely in October of 1987, when Prince uh, finished work on what was to be the Black Album. So when you hear a cat and two male voices, um, at the time when he first started recording, you know, cat. There was before cat started working for him. Is basically what it's saying, and that they their voices were added. You know, sometime later, in 2002, a live version, almost completely different from the original, was included as the fourth track on the live release "One Night Alone." The after show, it ain't over. So, um, after mixing part of the still untitled jam into "Walking in Glory," Prince further developed the song, mixing and overdubbing it two days later. And that's when Sheila E came up for the title for it. So that is two nicks united for West Compton. <laughs> so finally, the last song on the album is Rock Hard in a Funky Place. And it's another funk jam of uh, uh, Prince using his Camille voice. And it's something that I would definitely, that was definitely would have gone on the Camille album for sure. And it's just talking about Camille being in a house of ill repute, ill repute. Uh, you can, so we can assume like a whorehouse or something, <coughs> excuse me. And he's got a heart on 
So he doesn't, you know, he, he is de- like rock hard in a, in a funky place. And when you think of a funky place, um, I would think a whorehouse would be funky and we're not going to, you know, we're just going to leave that there. Um, but then it's kind of, you know, it's, you know, explicitly sexual and that he says, um, you know, well, maybe I'll just pop a nut in the car, you know? And, uh, he has this, you know, woman doing this moaning, uh, uh, you know, and he's like, you can't concentrate because your dick's so hard. Like, wow, Prince, like, you know, but I mean, it's Prince. We're at this point, we should be used to, you know, his uh, sexually explicit lyrics. But then he says, you should pop a nut in the car. And then, and then he does his guitar solo, or maybe he can play the guitar. And so it just goes from there. And then, you know, the little, uh, high pitched vocals rock, rock, <laughs> rock. And he's making all these, like all these like little ad libs and stuff in the song. So it's a fun song and it's definitely in the vein of like, um, his other funk songs like Shockadelica. It sounds very similar to Shockadelica to me or Rebirth of the Flesh. Uh, so it's in the same vein of those funky songs. So I think that was probably the best way to end that album is, uh, just to keep the funk going throughout. And that's exactly what Prince did for this album. So that includes my review. So next up, I've got, uh, some, um, book reviews. I'm finally going to do, uh, my taste book and I'm going to review a Morris's book. And I'm also going to review the, uh, slave documentary. I know I've been saying that for like, Oh, at least three or four months now. I'm gonna get around to it eventually. Um, but, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm gonna check the audio on this before I try to, um, upload it again. So hopefully this one will take, uh, it's not as long as uh, my first one. Um, so hopefully, like I said, hopefully this audio will take and I'll be able to post it and you will be able to listen to this one. I hate that I was doing all this coughing because I didn't do any coughing in that first take, but you know, it is what it is, you know, uh, as far as the YouTube uh, page, uh, please go ahead and subscribe. If you haven't, I've got all of the podcast episodes, um, on there and I will be honest, I'm still very, very new to editing. So please, please continue to give me some grace. I don't know what happened to my second video that I had up, uh, where I, um, talked about, um, my predictions for the purple rain at 40, uh, events and items that they're going to be, uh, the state is going to be doing. And, you know, my, you know, opinion about the Broadway show and all that. I don't know what happened to my introduction. <laughs> like it's super small on the, on the YouTube page. And I'm just like, what the, f- I don't know. So I'm, I'm just trying my best to just, you know, work through this whole editing thing. And I also have to get another computer as well. Cause my husband's computer is, doesn't have the gigabytes necessary to uh, do the editing. And, um, so I'm going to eventually get another computer in the next month or so. And, uh, but eventually I'm going to be a pro. Like by the end of the year, I'll probably be a complete pro on YouTube and I'll have like, I don't know, at least a thousand sub- subscribers. That would be uh, really great, but continue to tell people about the page. I'm still on Spotify as far as I know, and on Apple podcasts, as far as I know. And, um, of course the Facebook page as well. The Facebook page has been doing, we've been doing numbers. We've got about almost 2,500 people that are on the page now. So continue to tell all of your purple friends and family about the Facebook page. We're also on Instagram shades underscore, um, (laughs) 
Why can I not remember y'all? I can't remember shit. Shades underscore uh, purple podcast. Shades of shades of underscore of purple podcast. So it's two underscores. And so we're on Instagram as well. So check us out on all the platforms. Let me know what you think about this episode and any of my episodes. I do respond on YouTube, on Spotify, on the Facebook page. I don't bite, you know, and I don't mind criticisms, you know, so just, just let me know how you really feel about me. I'll be all right. I'm a big girl. So with that being said, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Peace and be wild. And maybe you live to see the dawn. Bye.